we are to be looking at and able to understand the reality, number one, of Christ's return, but also the surety of God's word. As God has spoken these things, we're seeing these things come to pass even before our eyes today. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into our study. Father, once again, we just come before you and ask that, Lord, Father, there would not be things that are over the top spoken of here, but Father, we would just look at the facts of the matter and the reality of the things going on and how they compare to your word. And we would see, Father, again, that, Lord, you have spoken of these things and we're seeing, Lord, the income, which seems to be so soon. If that be the case, then, Father, I pray that we would be a people that, li- that would live according to your desire. And so, Lord, just bless our study in your word once more, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to Matthew chapter 24. I'll be reading from verse 36 to verse 44. Now, Isaac Newton, his law of motion stated that objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Well, when Jesus came at his first coming, one of the things that he did was to prepare for that which was in motion, his second coming. His second coming would come at a time when mankind least expected it, but the thing about it is, it is coming. And so we're seeing the events of the world and all of these things working together towards that day. And although these events would happen suddenly, they should not take, especially a born-again believer, unexpectedly. Now, we will not be here at Christ's second coming. We'll be coming back with him. Just very well, I'll go through the steps of theology in just one minute. Let's go ahead and read our verses, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He's speaking of those who will be around during that day. It says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Unfortunately, there's been many leaders throughout the history of church that have tried to guess when that day is going to be, and they've all been found to be wrong because the Bible specifically tells us no one knows. Verse 37, But as the days of Noah's were, Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be left in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And so we are to be watching we're to be examining the times, of the, the signs of the times, comparing them with the Word of God for the purpose of knowing, realizing, and understanding that God's hand is upon all of these things that are going on. Again, things will never spiral out of control. It doesn't matter who's seated in the White House. It doesn't matter the various things that are going on. The reality of it is, is that God is seated upon the throne. But, We do need to watch and we do need to recognize and acknowledge the things that are going on and what that should do in the born-again believer. It should cause hope to well up inside of us as we see that, yes, God said these things would happen and as hard and difficult as they are, they are happening. And so the day of the Son of Man or the day of the Lord, just real quick, Bear with me, we've been through this, most of us, before, but there are four day ofs in the Bible. The first day of is the day of that we're experiencing right now. Not so much a biblical term, but a theological term is the day of man. God gives us a choice, an ability to be obedient to his word or disobedient to his word. Man governs himself and moves forward according to his own intellect. Prayerfully, man would seek out the Lord. But it speaks of the church age. Second is the shortest of all days. It's the day of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, it speaks of eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking of you. He's speaking to the church. This would speak of the rapture. We are currently in the church age. 
One day, at a moment when we least expect it, at a moment in the twinkling of an eye, the church is going to be taken, it's going to be raptured. That will start the day of the Lord, or it's spoken of here as the day of the Son of Man. This is the time period from the rapture of the church all the way through to the great white throne judgment. It's that time of tribulation. It's the millennial age rule. It's when Jesus is going to judge the devil and the world. And then that will usher in the day of God when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so in light of these things, what are we to be doing today? In light of that, the, the one thing that we do know as we have the change of our calendar, we're young, one year closer to the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. Even when we started service, we're now almost an hour closer. We're marching closer to that time. What is it that we are to be spending our time doing? Well, as born-again believers, the Bible is very emphatic about that. In Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, we've been given our orders. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Christ is with us in order to enable us in these things. And so, as I've mentioned before, if the rapture happens, if the tribulation starts during our time here on earth, then the people that we are ministering to those whom Jesus had said to go forth and to make disciples very well could be people who enter into that great tribulation. And the thing about it is, when we're dead or gone or raptured or gone, the thing that is going to live on is going to be the Word of God that you have spoken or you have shared with whoever it is that God has brought into your life. So that ministry will continue to bear fruit. Because when the rapture of the church happens, there's not going to be one born-again believer on this planet. But I think instantaneously there will be people who realize the truthfulness of what you had been sharing with them. Maybe some people have been so militant against you, they realize the truth of this. It caused them to revisit what you've said as you shared the Word of God. causes them to go back to the Word of God. And then people will start being saved once again. And so we have that opportunity to minister to people if, in fact, this is the end times, to people who will be going through that most desperate of time. But we have also have another command as far as for today. Turn over to Mark, Mark chapter 13, verse 32. I've already alluded to it, but Mark is very emphatic about it. Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37 speaking of the same thing pretty much that I just read in Matthew, only he goes a little bit more in depth. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So what is he doing? Again, he's speaking to the church. What's the instruction that he's given to the church in light of end-time theology? He says, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authorities to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to keep, it's the second time I've underlined him here, to keep watch. Verse 35, third mention, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, least coming suddenly or unexpectedly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, that means he's saying it to us, watch, watch. Take heed and watch. Pay attention and stay awake. He's not wanting the church to fall asleep. He's not wanting the church to pull back. He's not wanting the church to surrender in the face of opposition, but continuing to push forward, being alert. The verb form means to be continually doing it without end, all the way through to the very end. And so just as the church before us was commanded to watch, how much more so should we be watching? Watching the signs of the times, seeing how the Word of God matches up with the things that we read in the newspapers or on the Internet. And so as we're watching, it's very important that we watch through biblical eyes. If you're not watching through biblical eyes, then you're soon to fall into despair because it seems like 
all that you have and all that you've worked for, all that you've been given by the past generations, it does seem like it is falling apart. But again, as we have our eyes focused upon the Word of God, we understand that all of these things that are happening are according to the will of God, and what better place to be than in the will of God? Christ commanded us to watch, so if you believe in God's promises, you will obey His commands. If you believe in the promises of God, you'll obey His commands. And we have a command here to watch. This prophecy update... It will be based upon what we see, because we've been commanded to watch. Just as Joe Friday, if you're a child of the 60s, used to say, just the facts. So we're going to be looking at just the facts. So many that is called prophecy today is based upon even some, some pretty wild guess. And when that doesn't come to pass, then it's buried under another wild guess. And so I'm just going to be looking at reality of the things that we see today and see how the scriptures line up with these things. I'm not going to be addressing the latest conspiracy theory. I'm not called to do that. Matter of fact, it's been said that a good conspiracy is unprovable. I mean, if you think about it, if it's an effective, good conspiracy then people aren't really going to even know that it's happening. Shouldn't we be warning people? Well, we do warn them. It's time to get right with Jesus Christ. And if you're the church, you watch and you see how God is going to move. Then there's the most important consideration of all when it comes to prophecy. And I see a lot of people who base their lives or their ministries on prophecy fall apart at this point. And we're told this in Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all about Jesus Christ. Everything is about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so when we come to that understanding, where's our hope? Our hope is always in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we see these things happening that seem so beyond us. Turn your eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the cross that has set you free from sin, but also even as Jesus said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And so, yes, it's getting bad down here. It's going to get a whole lot worse down here, but our hope is not here. Our hope is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what are we really watching for in all the events that we see? We're watching for the second coming and all the events that are connected with that of Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to look at some national and global observations. Some of the things that I see that are going on, um, again, not great conspiracies, but realities of things that are going on that are setting a template for the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to come upon the scene, and he's going to come upon the scene very suddenly. He's probably going to be able to give an explanation for the rapture of the church. Where'd all those people go? He's probably going to work a peace deal between Islam and Israel so that the temple can be reestablished. I mean, just think of it. Even the events of what we've heard about on the news lately, if somebody could work peace in the Middle East, wouldn't that man be looked upon as somebody who is just off the charts amazing? And then when you have somebody that's successful in something of that magnitude, let's put him in charge. Just think of the other good that this man would be able to achieve. Well, what if there was a template already in place for one world rule? And we've got this man who has achieved this in this area where so many others have failed. He would fit in very well for that template and plug into this, well, the, the, this reality that has to happen fairly rapidly. Now, the precursors are going to be happen before the rapture of the church in the end times, but nonetheless, it's going to have to happen pretty quickly. It's got to happen, obviously, within the lifetime, but even the career time of this man. So the first thing that I want to look at is we look at, again, globally and nationally, and even locally, I want to see a continued secularization of society and the world. That's an important part of end times, this the secularization or this moving away from God and man pulling it within towards himself and his own ideas and his own will. This is important because it will lead, to man, it will lead mankind to a greater degree of instability. 
obviously, the further away we move away from the Lord, the more instable that a country is going to be, a society is going to be, and individual lives are going to be. The more unstable things are, the more unrest there is going to be. The more restless we become, the greater degree that people will act out in desperation. We're seeing that in our political landscape even today. We've walked away from the Lord. We've taken the Lord completely out of the equation. People are looking to elect basically God and putting them in the position of authority over their lives. And when the person doesn't get in who they think should get in, then all of a sudden they fall into despair. And again, they did probably one of the most foolish things that I've ever seen. They start protesting an election. The election is the will of the people. How do you protest against an election? And now we've got, it's, well, I think we've always had this, but it's a little bit more obvious. They, whoever they may be, think they know better who should be in office rather than we. It was revealed through the Democrats. There's this stuff going on the Republican side as well. But the Democrats this year, they conspired against one of their own party members. I didn't agree with Bernie Sanders, but they conspired to not have Bernie be the representative. And again, what's happening here? They're basically saying your vote means nothing or you're too ignorant to vote intelligently. And again, we need to see that this is just fostering an unrest. See, no longer. Now, I know what Romans chapter 13 says. It says that the governing authority is put there by the hand of God. So I'm going to have an element of contentment if Donald got in or if Hillary got in. I have strong feelings against one and the other and all of that, but nonetheless, I know that God is in control. But what we have here is, is we have a society that is starting to act out in desperation. Just an example of that, you see that, this is the end of the football season, whether you're a sports fan or not, just kind of stay with me. It's the end of the football season, and things didn't work out so well with some of the teams that, well, not like they thought it would be. So what happens at the end of the football season? You've got this man who owns these teams, and these men who own the teams, they're intelligent men. These are men, a lot of them are self-made millionaires. They've been very successful. But then they get into sports and their brains just go completely upside down. Instead of acting intelligently, well, let's fire this guy and get somebody else in. And you're looking at these people and you're thinking, how foolish is all of this? Because what are they doing? They're looking for the coach that is going to make it all happen. And sometimes they need to be looking in the mirror rather than at the coach. Society needs to look in the mirror rather than who's in the White House or whatever elected officials and all of this. We've pushed God out of the equation. We're becoming more and more godless. And at some point, God is going to say, well, I'm going to take the godly. I'm going to take them unto myself. And then you're going to be able to have what you want. Because sometimes man's judgment is simply getting what he wants. And so, apart from Christ, with the instant access to the news events of the world, how could there possibly be stability within the lives of the people of this nation or of this world? Now, one of the first things, when I was in college, I was, for maybe a semester, I was taking oceanography. And part of the thing when you become an oceanographer, you've got to, like, go into the ocean. And so... Um, it was just that, that's kind of where I fell apart. I don't like sand. I don't like cold water. So I don't even know what I was doing there. But you had to take scuba diving. But before you could take scuba diving, you had to take life-saving class. So I took the life-saving class. So the very first thing they taught us in life-saving class is when you go to save somebody, you've got to be mindful of your own safety. Because a person that is struggling in the water will grasp on to anything that he thinks is going to give him hope. If you're coming there to save him, he'll even grasp onto you, and the problem is you're probably both going to drown. And so there were techniques to use in order to save this person. But that's what's happening in our society today. We're, we become desperate. No longer have faith and hope in the Lord. We're just trying to grasp on to whatever it is that we're able to grasp on in order to keep our heads above water. And the world has gone on in some very foolish directions. So, looking at a cross-section of our world today. First, the United States. United States is really the only superpower in existence today, but the problem with the United States of America is we've got social upheaval as we have never had it. 
there's division. You can't have a proper debate anymore without yelling and screaming. You turn on Fox News to see what's right. You turn on CNN to see what's left. And they're all yelling at each other and calling people names. And, 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 and again, that's really to the detriment of the gospel as well because the gospel has been inserted into society, a society that is open to consider ideas and open to debate. We see that our moral corruption, seemingly, biblically anyway, is at an all-time high. We have a country where everybody is doing what is right in their own sight. We live in a postmodern society. A postmodern society? Well, we've even developed our own religion and, and the... Um, not the seeker-friendly church, the, uh, oh, it escapes me at the moment. Um, Shaney, what's, what am I looking for here? The Emergent church, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Shaney. Your voice got real high. The merging church. Merging church says basically that religion is fluid and it's able to change with society and all of these things. Well, when everybody is doing what is right in their own sight, what are you going to have? You're going to have a mess. There's no organization that is going to survive with everybody doing what is right in their own sight. Again, going back to football, well, if the center decides that he wants to be a quarterback and he goes back to be the quarterback and nobody's the center, then the ball's never going to get hiked. And if the blocker wants to go out for a pass instead of blocking, then it's going to be a mess and it's just going to be unorganized. And again, that's what we're living in today. So the United States... We have this superpower, but even the superpower, and it still is one of the most thriving nations in the world, but we see this is a nation that's not what it used to be. This is a nation in decline. We have the European Union. It, too, is in moral decay, and it's economically unstable, almost went under. There's people bailing on it, or I say people, there's countries even bailing on it now. Not what it was, and it's only been around for a short time. It's opened its borders to these massive amount of refugees and false refugees and are collapsing under the weight of Islam. It's still in this situation where the Europeans' reproductive rate does not match what is necessary to sustain a race. Islam is reproducing at a rate that is going to overwhelm all of Europe. Again, these are realities. We see how unstable the area is. If you looked at the news, you saw it probably moments after it happened in Turkey, there was a terrorist attack. 39 people were shot in a nightclub. And I think there was 40 more that were wounded, something like that. It's probably increased by now that people that had their lives altered. These things continue to go on. They continue to happen. And the thing about it is, they let all these refugees in. How come you've never had an American refugee? Because we stand and fight for our country. We don't have an agenda other than that if you come and you attack our country, then we're going to come and we're going to attack you. And so you, you need to see that there, there's, there's a lot of foolishness here. There's a lot of desperation. Now, I don't think people should be left to starve or left to drift out to sea. My personal opinion is with the refugees that are coming into Europe, bring them back to this area of Syria, make a safe place for the women and children, train the men to go to war, and enable them to protect their country. I have an uncle that, that fought in World War II, one of the first people that were in the, uh, in, in the death camps, of, uh, you know, Nazi death camps. It's, it's one thing to see it in textbooks. It's another see, thing to see it in his photo album. And just the reality of these things. But praise God, we had people that stood up and that were willing to fight for a cause. Right? That's biblical. That's a reality. And so we see when we get away from these things, the mess that it causes. So Islam... Islam continues to expand even today. Continuing on throughout the world, you've got Japan, South Korea, and the Asian nations doing okay, but never ever really able to find stability. And they're constantly dependent, mostly on us, but to other nations. Then there's North Korea, the most unstable nation in the world. Under the influence of a delusional man, they can't even feed their own people, but they continue to march forward in building nuclear bombs and nuclear missiles. Kim said he was going to fire off some kind of uh, intercontinental, intercontinental missile here pretty soon for testing. He's never stopped. He's continuing to move to that point, and it's causing the world to be unstable, instable. China, a communist regime that has been able to hold on to their communism, they become an industrial colossus, is militarily ruthless, and its economy is very ambitious. 
They don't need to attack America. They're buying us out for the most part. But still, you see that there's always this constant conflict that exists between the world and China. And then we've got Old Faithful there. We've got Russia. Russia continues to hold the largest stockpile of nuclear warheads in the world. They continue to bully other nations and are now positioning themselves in the Middle East. And that's worth stopping and considering because this plays right into what we see in Ezekiel. If you'll turn there, Ezekiel chapter 38. We looked at it when we were in Ezekiel a couple of years ago. Probably referred to it back here in our prophecy update. But this is always constantly before our face. Seems like Russia was on the decline. If you're like me, child of the 60s, there was the commies. And the commies were coming for us. And we were all concerned, as we should have been. They were a threat. There's no doubt about it. But there was always Russia. And there was always that threat of Russia. Then all of a sudden, what was it, in the 1980s, the wall goes down. Russia's reduced. They seem to be going away. See, biblically speaking, Russia is never going to go away. Russia is always going to be bullying other nations, and they're always going to have a presence in the Middle East. It represents their interests. One of their biggest exports is oil, especially natural gas. And when that is affected, well, Russia will usually flex their muscle. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 38, we're not going to get into all the details here because we just don't have time, but it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. So this is from God. Son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog. Magog is a power. Gog would be the ruler of that power. And it goes on to describe this. The prince of Rosh, that would be Russia. Meshech, Meshech would be Moscow and Tubal. Tubal would more than likely be Siberia and prophesy against them. So this is what the Lord is speaking against them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, uh, Meshech, and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all of your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers, shields, and all of them handling swords. They're going to, now what's happening, so I'm going to turn them around. So at some point, they're going to be on an attack. And it's going to seem like they're prospering for a period of time, but God eventually is going to prevail. Now, there was something very interesting when we were in Israel. There was a time we were in northern Israel. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. And we were at a look, lookout point, and you could just see all the way into Syria. I mean, you could see as far as the eye could see. You could see Damascus if you could see that far, because this was like Syria is like a shotgun pointed at the head of Israel. Well, who's getting a pretty big presence in Syria right now? Matter of fact, Turkey and Russia are the biggest players in supposedly this peace deal to be brokered in Syria. But let's just say they're able to broker that peace. To whose advantage do you think it's going to be? It's going to be to Russia's advantage. Russia doesn't do anything for anybody unless they get something out of the deal. Now, again, this is like a shotgun pointed right at the head of Israel. Well, that's what's being spoken of here in Ezekiel chapter 38. It's being spoken of as the time when Russia goes and attacks Israel. It speaks of his allies here. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Well, these are enemies of Israel for the most part, or at least with Ethiopia becoming as Islam starts to enter into these areas. Gomer and all of its truth, the house of Tagarma, from as far north and all of its troops, many people are with you. Tagarma, guess who Tagarma is? That's Turkey. These things are happening. They're happening right now. Does this mean that the end is coming right now? Might go on for another 200 years, but make no mistake about it. These things are in place. These things were prophesied, uh, what, some 2,600 years ago or so? And they're happening today but God's in control. God's in control. And he's even saying that Russia and Turkey, they look like they're going to be prevailing for a period of time, but God is going to end up getting the best of it because, again, nothing happens apart from the Lord. Then there's Africa in the Middle East. What's well, the biggest thing that man, well, leaders, world leaders are trying to today? work not only peace but at least stability in those areas but we've got a problem this area will never be stable because of religious reasons we know what the agenda of islam is 
There's terrorist ambitions and regional warlords that are looking for personal power. And these things have been constant problems to the peace process. And again, I believe that the Antichrist will be a man that is able to overcome all of those things and work a peace deal, but as far as, apart from him, just not going to happen. And then we have the center of prophecy, which is Israel, given back to us as a nation in 1948. Why? For the purpose of end times. You have to have the existence of Israel, which we have today. And so, if you were a third party, you're an alien, you come from outer space, you land on Earth, you look at the world situation, and sooner or later you're going to look at Israel and say, what's everybody got against them? I mean, what have they ever done that was so bad that these people absolutely hate them? There's been some that have threatened to wipe them off the face of the earth. Even this country over here, the United States of America, they seem to be turning their back on them. you got all these other nations that are a mess, all these other nations that are even attacking the United States of America, but nonetheless, it seems like nobody likes Israel. Well, you need to see the spiritual ramifications that exist there. You can tell the government today that you want us to back Israel. Why? Well, they're under the sway of the God of this age. God's promises, God's plans always reverberate around Israel. And so the attack is always going to be against Israel. That is never going to change. So what is it that such a world looks to for security? Well, it's going to be either one of two. It's either going to be Jesus Christ or the Antichrist. As far as those who look to Jesus Christ, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who, notice that's mentioned three times, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so when the world all seems to be falling apart and seems like despair and unrest is entering into your heart, turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ and the promises that we have from Jesus Christ. It's through the Lord that the effects of the world will not bring us to despair. But those who are in despair will be like this drowning man willing to grab onto anything that he believes will give him hope. And he's going to grab on to the Antichrist, but the problem is they're all going to go under. Second point, I want to look at what I see next is the continual consolidation of the governments of the world. This is what is called, or what we're headed to, is a one-world rule. Now, that's going to be necessary, as I said earlier, to be in place when the Antichrist comes upon the scene because he is going to be that one world rule. Now, if he just popped up onto the scene today, it'd be kind of hard. You know, you've got the United Nations. We'll see there's some other things, but they're not quite there. So the timing right now isn't really right, although that can change very quickly. And so this is a necessary environment for the Antichrist to plug into. So who's the Antichrist? I don't know. Where does he come from? I don't know. Islam, Israel, Europe. My guess is he's probably an Islamic European, but I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't state it emphatically. Is he here right now? I think so, but maybe, maybe not. Well, we know who he is when he comes upon the scene. If you're a born-again believer, no, you won't be here. Second Thessalonians 2, 7-8, through 8, For the mystery of the lawless, mystery of lawless is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, this would be the church, and then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So he's going to be revealed after the church is taken out of the way. It's important to understand that in the future, there will be two new world orders. Working backwards, the first new world order is going to be God's people living with him for eternity. That's a fact. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. But before that, there's going to be another one that will be established for seven plus years. Before the second coming of Jesus Christ is this kingdom of the Antichrist. So this being the case, if we are living in the end times today, or at least getting pretty close, 
as we're watching, shouldn't we be able to see the precursor of this kingdom that is coming? Shouldn't we see the precursor of what the Antichrist is going to be plugging into if, in fact, we are at the end times? Obviously, the answer is yes. These precursors are already in place. This first new world order will include a one world rule, politically, economically, and religiously. I mean, that's religion is one of the hardest things to deal with right now because you've got the Muslims, and they believe what they believe, and they believe it emphatically. The Christians, we believe what we believe, and we believe it emphatically. The Jews, and so on and so forth. And so there's a division that goes on just right there. And if I believe what I believe, and what I believe is true, then what they believe isn't true, and they're thinking the same thing towards me. So there's always going to be that division. But there's going to be that one man that comes upon the scene that is able to work all of this out. Now, in speaking of the Antichrist, Revelation 13, 7 through 8, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And, now this is a key, authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him. This means there's going to be a one world ruler. And it's going to be, he's speaking in context, Revelation 13, the Antichrist. So that's a biblical reality. This kingdom of the Antichrist is going to spring out of what we see developing right now worldwide. See, in Revelation 17, verses 12 through 13, there's this precursor to the Antichrist seated upon his throne. It says, Ten horns or ten world powers which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour or a period of time as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So it's very interesting what is being spoken of here in Revelation chapter 17. There are ten kings, but they got no kingdom. Ten kings that have no kingdom. How could that possibly be? Well, that's coming to be even right now. That you'll have kings that have no real kingdom. See, mindset, if only we can find a government that works today, a leader to rise up and that would lead us into a thriving economy, widespread prosperity, social, racial equality, and religious unity. If only the people in the third world countries could have it just as good as people in the United States of America. And even looking at the United States of America, you guys got something going on there that's unsustainable. So we've got to take you guys down a couple of notches so we can bring everybody up to a couple of notches. And so there's this mindset. Well, the ambition to be the leader such as this, it's already there. Now, I've said this before. I don't believe that Obama is the Antichrist. Maybe he is, but I don't think he is. And then I went on to say something one time, and people said, Pastor Mike called Obama the Antichrist. I'm not doing that right now. But I'm just showing you the example. And if you don't like Obama, look at Jimmy Carter or you know, a bunch of other people, and what I'm saying here is, they came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, they're president of the United States. You know, just a matter of a couple of years. But this comment, in 2013, our President Obama said, the problem is, he was talking about the issues that he was dealing with in the United States and worldwide, he said, the problem is, is that I'm president of the United States. I'm not emperor of the United States. My job is to execute laws that are passed. The problem was he was complaining about that. The idea was, I can do so much more, but I'm restrained by these checks and balances that are in place. And so again, this mindset, it's already there. If only we could knock down these barriers that seem to be hindering for the, the, the will of mankind to be imposed upon this world to present a better world to all. And so the world is working in that direction. Problem is it's working in that direction apart from the Lord. So what are these templates that exist today that will more than likely be the vehicle for the power of the Antichrist? Well, I think, and it could change, you know, there's no doubt about it, but it's a general template. The single greatest threat to our American way of life, 
I think, the greatest vehicle for the Antichrist to be this one world uh, rule is government by trade agreement. Now, it sounds like something kind of benign. It sounds like something kind of, well, what's the big deal? Well, it's in the shell of these trade agreements that global governments are being established even right now. This isn't a conspiracy. This is a reality. You can go on the Internet and look it up, what the, what the countries are doing. So you, you've got this man, a president of the United States, with an agenda. He's constrained, but what he's doing is he's giving power that supersedes the powers that we have in place in this country to these global networks. And so you have a committee that sits over one of these global trade commissions. They're kings, but they got no country. And then there's always going to be somebody that is going to rise up in the midst of them. This seems to be a perfect template. So they're established even right now. We've got one in place that I'll just use as an example. There's actually a multitude of them, but this one's pretty big. It's the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or it's referred to as the TPP. This is a commission that includes 12 nations that represent 40% of the global economy. Just think if you can control 40% of the global economy, you'll control the world. Those who are part of it, Australia, Canada, Japan, Malaysia, Mexico, Peru, United States, Vietnam, Chile, uh, Brunei, Singapore, and New Zealand. John Kerry recently invited China and Russia to join as well. And that's going to pretty much encompass all the, I'm sorry, all the world. The agreement says the parties hereby establish a Trans-Pacific Partnership Commission. The commission shall consider any proposal to amend or modify this agreement. That means they signed an agreement, but they can change the agreement anytime they want. So if you're buying a house, would you sign the contract that says, well, we're going to charge you $1,000 a month for your house, but we can change that anytime we want. Well, that'd be foolish because you know they're going to bump it up into two, three, four thousand dollars. Just doesn't make any sense. There's no control. Well, that's what they're doing. They're getting these nations that are entering in, and they're giving up all control. It says, and to take such other action as the parties may agree, and so we may change it, and then we're going to do whatever we want. And so those nations that enter into this agreement, they're giving quite a bit up. This is an agreement that we are part of that can be apart from congressional approval. They can start implementing rules and regulations upon the United States. Now, when I say don't think just United States, think of you as a member of the United States. They're able to impose multi-billion dollar fines, change the rules at their will, remove nation of origin labeling, bring lawsuits against American companies and or even individuals. It has provision on immigration, wealth redistribution, education, human rights, children's rights, gay rights, gun control, abortion, and environmental issues. You see this thing, how powerful this really is. And you you can say, well, children's rights, that's a good thing. But the problem is they're entering into these areas that sound so good, but this long arm of government, worldwide government, will be to our detriment. Remember what Hillary Clinton said 10, 15, whatever many years ago? It takes a village to raise a child. She's saying you need the government in order to train up your children the way that they should go. And that's continuing to move. That mindset is continuing to move forward. You don't need a village. You need the Lord. You need the church to raise up a child. What they're doing is they're making inroads into these areas for their particular purposes and for their agendas. Bill Clinton established the North American Free Trade Agreement, and he even has apologized for it. He he saw what he has given up, and he saw the detriment to this nation or the negativity that it's caused in this nation. Today, there are many other powers that work disguised as trade packs, global warming commissions, and human rights organizations. We're giving up our sovereignty to these groups, these groups that are becoming more and more powerful. But this is the mindset. Even our sitting president right now, Barack Obama, he wrote in his book, Dreams of My Father, well, it's of the mindset that the United States needs to be reduced so that there will be a worldwide equality and we're the ones who are going to suffer at that 
that mindset, of that agenda. And so you look at some of the rules and the laws that are being put in place, and they don't make sense because you're thinking the old way. You've got to think how these people think and see what they're doing and the agenda that they're marching towards. Now, again, they're doing these things according to, let's just say they don't have any evil intent in mind, and I'm sure some of these people don't. But they're not of Jesus Christ. They're of the Antichrist, and somewhere along the line, he's going to plug into one of these things. In September of 2015, the 193 member states of the United Nations General Assembly unanimously unanimously passed the 2030 Agenda of Sustainable Development. By this vote, they decided to create a government entity that is larger than the United States, that will have a budget that rivals the United States. By 2030, this is just another. So we've got these trade agreements and these commissions and all of these things. They're all over the place. But at some point, there's going to be a group of people that get together. These kings without nations, they're going to solidify one that's going to work worldwide. Even the Pacific Trade Agreement, if that's successful, it's more than likely going to go over to the Atlantic as well. And so again, these things, what are we told to do? We're told to watch. I'm just telling you, as I watch, you can get the information off the Internet just as easily as I do. And again, this isn't from a conspiracy point. You go to their own websites, and you see the things that they're doing and the direction that they're working towards. Forces are at work, and everything is leading to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, just watch. Doesn't this make us susceptible to every conspiracy theory that's going down the pike? Don't get caught up in conspiracies. Get caught up in reality. That's all God said, is just to watch, and it will be biblically obvious what's going on. So we see these things. We see these things that are going on. They're in place. One day the Antichrist is going to come. And so what do we do? Well, this coming year in 2017, we're going to have a bunker-building ministry. We're going to have a weapons-gathering ministry and a food storage ministry. We're going to pull within, and anybody comes, tries to, well, if they're hungry, we'll shoot them. If they're naked, we'll shoot them. If they're in jail, well, we'll let them stay there. No, that's not what we're called to do. I mean, silly. What are we called to do in the face of such things? First, we are called to evangelize. I mean, nothing's changing. Evangelize. Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest or revealed as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. I don't know how much time we got left. We redeem it. We redeem it by evangelism, sharing the word of God. Secondly, we are to be patient and steadfast, continuing on the things of the Lord, understanding that although we are in end times, it's all relative to the totality of times. There very well could be 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 years left. I don't know. He may come back tomorrow as well. In James chapter 5, verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Thirdly, we're to be in prayer. Are you a person of prayer? Make 2017 to be the year that you become a person of prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Fourthly, we are to be consistent in coming to church. Now again, this command is veiled in end-time theology. Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much more as you see the day approaching. I don't know if he's referring to the day of Jesus Christ, the rapture, or the day of the Lord, the tribulation, but you get the point. Fifthly, we're to live a pure life, a biblically a life that exemplifies biblical moralities. 2 Peter 3, 11-14, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, since the world's going to be destroyed, we know where it's going towards, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And then lastly, we're to be joyful and have confidence. Joyful in what Christ has done. 
He's delivered us from this destruction of this world. He's delivered us from the judgment of those who are contrary to God. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've done this before. How many people think that Jesus Christ is going to come back in 2017? Raise your hands. Yeah, there's one. Mike. How many people, good job, Mike. How many people think he's going to come back in January? This year? How many people think he's going to come back after service today? Bible says, nobody raised their hand, Bible says he's going to come at a moment that you least expect. That's just an illustration. Doesn't mean he's coming back after service, but he might. He might. And so the bottom line is, are you watching? We see these commissions and trade agreements and all these things, and maybe it's going to be something completely different that is set there as a template, but we see the direction that things are headed. The Bible says these things are so. We looked in the book of Revelation. It says that the Antichrist is basically going to be a ruler of this world. And we see that he's going to come from some sort of commission, these kings without countries. All of these things are in place. We need to watch, but in our watching, we need to be motivated. We've got an opportunity in the Lord Jesus Christ to see him glorified all the way through up until the time that he tells us to come home. Father, we so look forward to that time when you bring us home, Lord. And we just thank you, Father, that you have not kept these things secret, but you have revealed these things. And because of that, Lord, we just rejoice. And so this study is not designed to lead people into depression, but to give us a spirit of joy that our God thinks of us, that he's got all of these things planned, but he has a special plan for his children. And so, Father, we just lift up this coming year. And Lord, there's always going to be changes and things are going to be moving in different directions. But the one thing that we know is, is that we continue steadfast in your word, that we would be obedient to your commands. And Father, we would rejoice in your goodness. So I pray, Father, that 2017 would just be a special year, Father, of you doing great things in our church and through our church into this community, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?